This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, I guess I'll start out by saying, crisis averted. Or maybe, like a question, crisis averted? You know, the Nets week was down and up falling twice to a rather substandard Cavs squad before eking out a pair of wins over the depleted Heat. I think this is a case where two things can be true. That the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden trio is indeed magical. And also, this team needs to get them some help in order to get them where they want to go. In this show, I'll muse about how that can be done and to help me with that. I got in a couple of questions with the bearded one and Joe Harris on the net Zoom calls this week, which you'll hear. And then the venerable reporter Brian Lewis of the New York Post will be joining me in a few minutes. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, I ask that you please subscribe to the City Game Podcast on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using right now. And feel free to let me know what you think in the Apple Podcast review section. So here's the thing with the Nets. You know, they've played the most games in the league thanks to avoiding COVID-19 issues. And, you know, they're 11-8. and eight. You know, not awful, right? But, you know, drill down and you'll notice they played 13 of those 19 games at home. In addition, you know, they haven't faced a ton of elite opponents with just eight games against teams which finished in the top six of their respective conference last season. Now, the good news is that the Nets have gone 7-1 and one in those games against good teams. However, they've also lost to the Hornets, the Hawks, the Wizards, and twice each to the Grizzlies and the Cavs. And you can't call those anything but missed opportunities, folks. And that first game in Cleveland you know, was a gut puncher. Had a chance to win in the end of regulation, and then there was that strange sequence where Irving lost the ball while being called for an offensive foul that was overturned, only resulted in a jump ball. Then they had the three-point lead after making a couple of free throws with nine seconds remaining in the first overtime. 
Harden uses the foul to give with five seconds left. But then the Nets inexplicably allow Colin Sexton to get off the game-tying three-ball. You know, KD can't connect on a long turnaround at the buzzer, and then the Nets wilt from there, having to use up their stars for 50 minutes, surrendering an unheard of 20 points in a five-minute overtime to lose by 12. Where to begin? I guess I'll start with that fatal Sexton three, since it's just amazing to me why teams don't always foul in these situations. Folks, you know, I know once in a blue moon it backfires, with the foul being called on the shot or some fluky rebound bouncing the wrong way off a free throw miss. But folks, I'm telling you, the math works. It's about win probability. The odds that you win by playing the free throw game are better than if you allow the opponent to get off the game-tying three. Especially that one, you know, where Sexton dribbled like four times with Irving right on him. Just grab him before he gets into the shooting motion. My lord, he's right in front of the Nets bench. They have like a dozen coaches helping Steve Nash. What were they all doing? And the funny thing is, well, I don't know if it's funny, but, you know, the same situation occurred in the first Miami game where Bam Adebayo was streaking down court, ready to launch a potential game-tying three-pointer with about seven seconds left. This time, Harden fouled him. You know, smart play. But why now? Not before? Was it pre-ordered? You know, I felt I needed to ask Harden about that, and here's his response. Hi, James. Uh, when you fouled Bam with uh, three seconds left, was that per the bench obstruction, or was that you not wanting to be on the wrong end of another Colin Sexton situation? Uh, just try to play smart basketball. Um, not really knowing the timeout situation, but we're up three points with you know time running out three, three, four seconds on the clock. Um, put them at put them at the line and, and, and try the free throw game, you know. And um, I'm not sure. I think he made two or, or missed one, uh, but it's just the odds are in our favor and it gives us a chance. Again, that was absolutely the right play by Harden there. You know, Bam did split the pair, and Harden closed it out from the line to give Brooklyn a four-point victory. But, you know, I still found it interesting that Harden wouldn't say that the fouling was on the bench's instruction. You know, he apparently did it on his own. And therein lies the issue that I've been warning you all about for months. Coaching matters. Obviously, the players make much more of an impact on outcomes. But it's absolutely a coach's job to put those players in positions that best allows them to win the games. And there are a few things that Nash still has to iron out before the Nets can compete with the more well-coached teams in this league. Like timeouts. You know, I haven't counted, but I bet Nash has taken home more timeouts than any coach in the league. Good for him for saving all those timeouts. You know, those in a Metro card will get him a subway ride home to Dumbo. You know, the NBA allows each team seven timeouts a game. You don't use five by the two-minute warning, you lose them. Now, you know, according to the play-by-play sheet of that first Cleveland game, you know, the one that went to double overtime, Nash used three timeouts in the first 46 minutes. And some of those were, you know, the mandatory TV timeouts. You know, it's one thing to say that you want to see your team play through, you know, the lulls. But mind you, this was a game where all three net stars were either over or approaching 40 minutes, you know, through four quarters. And how about getting those guys some rest? 
Know how many timeouts Nash used in the second overtime as Sexton went off and the Cavs were running it up? None. Nada. Good thing he saved those two, you know? Anyway, you know, the one thing I can't really pin all the blame on Nash for is, you know, overworking his stars. You know, he basically has six guys on his roster he can trust, and I'm counting DeAndre Jordan in there only because he's just no one else on this team who can handle the bruising centers like Andre Drummond. And I'll get into more of that in a little bit with Brian Lewis. But uh, before that, I do want to talk about a few more things, you know, like Nash and his supposed ability to motivate his stars. Remember how he's this great communicator who will command their respect, you know, f- right from the get-go? Well, let me just say this. You know, it hasn't always translated into how they perform on the court. You know, everyone in the organization has acknowledged that the effort has been at best inconsistent. And, you know, let's call it what it really looks like. Lazy. And how many times have they stood around and watched as other teams hustle after loose balls going out of bounds? How many times have they just waved an arm as a ball handler drove into the paint? You know, move their feet? No, Olay. Careless passes, missed box outs, half-hearted contests, dying on screens. You know, we see the full menu of lazy basketball almost every night. Many times, you know, their sheer talent wins out in the end. Like in the two Miami games you know, where a good chunk of their, their roster was missing. Too many other times, though, it didn't when it should have. People, you know, have asked me about Nash, and I've always said I'd give him 20 games before I made any judgment. So, you know, we're at 19, and I gotta tell you, I think Nets fans have every right to be worried. You know, I'll give you an example on offense. How can this team, with three of the greatest scorers in the league, and perhaps two of the top ten in NBA history, how can they be so flummoxed by zone defenses? You know, and then Joe Harris, too. You know, he's shooting ridiculous 48.4% from three-point range. You should have zone busters galore at your disposal. You know, Cleveland employed a rather unique matchup zone, but still, come on. You know, just because you're facing a zone doesn't mean that you stop moving. You know, it's especially important to have guys flashing to the foul line. And on Monday night, you know, the Heat went zone on a good chunk of their defensive possessions and the Nets looked lost, you know, relying on their star's ability to make difficult shots. And they escaped, you know, because Miami went cold down the stretch and Brooklyn was able to use its small lineup with Jeff Green at the five in crunch time. You know, before that, you know, Harden would be setting high screens set by Jordan or Reggie Perry and then Miami would double. So where's Harden going to go? You know, Jordan or Perry, more than 20 feet from the basket? Keep those guys in a dunker spot. You know what? You know, I still would trust Harden or Irving or KD. Any of those guys can initiate a play without a screen, like Harden did in the last five minutes on Monday night. He scored 10 points and found Harris for a dagger three ball. These are three of the top 15 players in the league in points per isolation possession, according to NBA.com. So let's not muck it up too much. On Tuesday, I had the opportunity to ask Harris about facing zone defenses, and here's what he said. Hey, Joe, I was curious if uh, you had a chance to look at the film and analyze how you felt uh, you handled the Miami zone after you know, Cleveland gave you a little bit of problem with it, too. 
Yeah, so we, um, you know, we struggled against the zone against Cleveland, cleaned it up a little bit in Miami, but still not, you know, where we wanted it to be. Worked on it a little bit today in practice because it's probably going to be something that we're going to see a lot going forward. Um, you know, obviously our offense poses a lot of problems for defensive matchups, so teams are, are probably more likely not going to zone a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, I think we, we definitely got better um, in the Miami games, um, but still a lot to clean up. Uh, now is Nets wing Joe Harris. Well, I disagree that, you know, they did a pretty good job in the Miami game. I think uh, down the end it was Harden going one-on-one that won him the game. But anyway, you know, I still think Harris will end up as the league's leading three-point shooter, you know, reclaiming the crown that he won two seasons ago. So, you know, let's move on to defensively. You know, Monday night notwithstanding, this team is a mess. You know, on one hand, Nash talks about the team and the coaching staff is all new. You know, give it time. Then on the other, he talks about this team, you know, isn't built to play defense or rebound. Not very reassuring. Even if you grant them the time, who are they going to be at that end? You know, they like to switch, but not on the 1-5 pick and roll. Unless maybe if it's late in the shot clock. The rotations, they're scary. And not in the good way like the offense. There's only so many games where a guy like Duncan Robinson is going to go one for ten from deep. You know, the Cavs, they weren't missing those shots. And the defensive rebounding? Only six teams in the league are worse in defensive rebounding percentage. And no one is surrendering more second chance points than Brooklyn's 16 a game. What can be done? I asked Harden about that as well. And here's the clip. Hi, James. Uh, you talked about guarding your man, but is there anything that you can do scheme-wise uh, to keep uh, ball handlers out of the paint a, bit, a little better? Uh, we can. We, we can, but I think individually, you know, we watch film before games, so, you know, we have to take up on the challenge and know who we're guarding, uh, their tendencies and what they like to do, you know, and uh, tonight what killed us, they had maybe, what, point paints, they had 70 you know, points in the paint. Uh, that's a lot of points in the paint. Um, so we just didn't do a, a good job of, of guarding the ball, and they got into the paint. And, you know, offensive rebounds happen, layups happen, and, you know, just not not good good things doesn't happen when the ball gets in the paint. And tonight we allowed that too much. That was kind of a leading question that I posed to James Harden there because I don't get a chance to ask follow-ups. It might not make much sense to you, but my point is why doesn't this team ever try a zone? Uh, it's something I'll talk to Brian Lewis about in just a minute. But before that, you know, it's only fair that I highlight a couple of positive items, you know, besides the obvious awesomeness of the Big Three's ability to score at will. So I thought Green was huge for the Nets on both ends on Monday night. Yeah, yes, he took the collar on four three-point attempts. But, you know, like I said before, he spaced the floor, forced Miami to go out and guard him in the corners. And maybe more importantly, in the last seven minutes, he held Bam to 0 for 2 shooting with a turnover. You know, this after the guy torched Brooklyn for 41 points on Saturday. I don't know if Green is going to be able to keep this up all season against all matchups, but you know he can make this team even more dangerous if he can. And also, let's give a shout out to Harden, for, you know, for easing into more of a traditional point guard role looking to set up others instead of monopolizing the ball like he did in Houston. You know, as he proved down the stretch on Monday night, you know, he could take over when necessary. 
But at least for now, you know, he seems to understand that he has to distribute first. I know it can be frustrating for fans who want to see him more aggressive. But think about what that would do to the other four guys on the court. At least two of them are used to having offenses run through them. Now, it's not an easy transition. But, you know, other than a pretty big turnover glut, you know, I think he's handled it with a plum. I mean, he has a 2.19 assist-to-turnover ratio in the six games he's been here. You know, that's not terrible. You know, it means he's finding guys more than twice as much as he's coughing it up. You know, if that were a season rate, it would be better than guys like LeBron James, Stephen Curry, and Kyle Lowry. Now, speaking of all-stars, let me bring in the star of the Nets beat, or one of them, my good friend Brian Lewis of the New York Post. So here's my conversation with Brian. On the Zoom with me now is the terrific reporter from the New York Post who's been on the Nets beat for at least the last four seasons. I could be way off. Uh, Mr. Brian Lewis is here. Brian, thank you for giving me some time today. Oh, no problem. Well, Brian, as you know, Nets fans are all ecstatic about their big three. But what they all really want to know is where are they going to get some help? I mean, you wrote a piece the other day about the search for a big man, you know, with former Sixer Norvell Pell possibly on the way and Sean Marks looking at Cavs center JaVal McGee as a potential trade target using the Spencer Dinwiddie disabled player exception. So what's the latest on those fronts? Would the Nets really go for both? Oh, I think they absolutely would go for both. Um, I mean, Pell is a little bit of of an unknown quantity. Um, I mean, you're talking about less than a full season of NBA experience under his belt. So that's more of a, that's a punt. That's a flyer. Now, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, he clearly has talent as a shot blocker, but that's a little bit more of a punt. And McGee is obviously far more of a known quantity. Um, And I do believe that there's a significant amount of help needed with that particular in that particular department. So yes, I do think I do think that getting one does not eliminate any interest in getting the other. Yes, well, we also read the article and you know that report that you referred to in it that said Kevin Love would be a target. I, that that can't be possible, right? I don't see that. One, I don't see it as a fit. Two, I certainly don't see it as as a fit when you're talking about 90 million over three years. Now, if you're talking about keeping an eye on love uh, and uh, the same way you might say, all right, I'm going to keep an eye on Drummond, or I'm going to keep an eye on love, or I'm going to keep an eye on the buyout market. Well, he can't, be he can't be bought out. He's got like two years. No Drummond. I'm saying, well, but I'm saying Drummond. Yeah. I'm saying I don't see any way that you're actually taking on $90 million in three years, for over three years. I, I don't see that as likely. I don't see it as feasible. I don't see him as a fit. Now, he's a talented player, but I don't see him as a fit. I see no way that that's liable to happen. Uh, McGee, on the other hand, fits in very neatly into the disabled player exception. Um, so, uh, you know, I think one is feasible. I think the other is not liable to happen. I'm going to throw one more name out at you because it hasn't been bandied about as much as some others. Robin Lopez. 
I think he's on the last year of his contract. They're not going anywhere. Would he be a buyout candidate in your opinion? Honestly, I hadn't thought of it. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad thought. Uh, I had not heard that they had any interest in Robin. Uh, but if he were bought out, I could see him being somebody that did garner interest. That's a good one. You should speak that into existence, maybe. <laughs> well, I don't have as many followers as you do, Brian. That's why I'm giving it to you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but the, the other position that they obviously need is wing defender. And I'm kind of known as a TLC hater. I think I've been proven wrong yet. But what's out there that you think you know would be a good fit for that hole? Uh, well, if you hate TLC, I'm going to throw one out there that you'll probably hate even more, considering his lack of activity in the last year and a half to two years. Uh, I personally have a soft spot for Roberson. Me too. I do not. I think, I think Roberson, there's, that is a zero risk flyer. You know, if, if Norvell is a flyer, then Roberson is the ultimate flyer. Um, if he gets back to even a reasonable facsimile of what he was, you got to steal. You know, and obviously, uh, you know, the pre-existing relationship with Spencer doesn't hurt. And I think he's a perfect fit for what you need. Yeah, so what 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 is the reason that nothing has happened yet? Do you has anyone investigated I, his injury situation? Well, I mean, obviously he was very limited in the bubble, you know. Um he certainly did not cover himself in glory offensively while they were playing in the bubble. But again, let's be fair, with this particular roster, do you need any more offense? Do I need somebody to come in and soak up more shots? No, I don't. You need someone um, who hits threes better than Bruce Brown. That's really, you know, and can defend better than Bruce Brown. <laughs> See, I like Bruce Brown. I do I, too. But I, I, get you know, down. I like him. I think he's I think he fits. I just want more of that. Yeah. I want yes. what Bruce Brown gives me, but I want more of it. Yeah, and I think Robertson is a little bit bigger. Am I, am I he is bigger? Around? Well, here's the difference. See, and here's the difference. To me, Bruce Brown has proven that he is a capable defender against ones and twos, twos that are not exceptionally large. I think he's proven to me that he is a capable defender at those positions. Now, I'm still going to ask the question, especially with, you know, Torian gone, who am I putting on an athletic three? Who would guard Jimmy Butler if he played last night? Harden? Harden? That's a a scary thought. (laughs) So, yes, Roberson Roberson is significantly bigger. He's taller. He's bulkier. He's bigger. He can guard threes uh, or even small fours. And I don't know that they have a person on their roster that fits that niche. Yeah. And I'm going to stick with the defense angle because it has been an issue with this team all season. Why hasn't this team even tried his own or barely used it? I may have missed some. You know, other teams seem to have some success against the Nets using it. I agree. I've tweeted the same thing. I mean, Kenny used it. And when I say Kenny, I'm also including Jacques in that. Kenny and Jacques used it to great effect at points when they were struggling on pick and roll defense. They used it to great effect to throw teams off their rhythm and then they jump out of it and then you jump back into it. Uh, And we see the impact that it, 
made on Cleveland when Cleveland hit them over the head with it. And James Harden himself was admitting that Miami zone threw the team off and threw him off early on in the game the other night. So I, I'm a little bit at a loss for why they're not using more. The only explanation that I can give is that when Steve came in, he talked about trying to be more aggressive on defense, wanting to be able to create more turnovers and be switchable, which is fine. These are all quality goals and they're all admirable. But when you look at how few turnovers they've been forcing anyway, yes. <laughs> and then you look at the defensive frailties of their roster as it is currently constituted. I would say, why not? <laughs> why not throw in a little more zone? So just to clarify, because I'm not in on all the Zoom calls, you, no one's ever asked him, like, what if that's against his philosophy or anything or re- any reason? I don't remember that being asked in that fashion, no. I tried today, but I, I'm, I, I didn't I mean, get it's called. It's possible on. that it may have been, but, you know. Yeah, I'm getting older, so my memory's not what it once was. Okay. I'm talking with Brian Lewis of the New York Post, great reporter. Brian, you know, Harden took over in the last five minutes on Monday night, but, you know, what did you make of his deference in, like, the seven quarters before that? I think it was fatigue, or do you think he's really fine with settling into more of that, like, old-fashioned point guard role? I think it's both. I think, despite what he may claim, where he says his conditioning is great, um, I think that's not fully truthful. Yeah, he's a guy uh, who paces himself. <laughs> right. So, I mean, he's not in the greatest shape. He is working his way back into shape as he goes. So he is pacing himself. And I do think that at his heart, uh, despite all of the whatever, criticism, flack, whatever you want to call it, that he gets for his love of isolation basketball. The fact is James Harden not only is a willing passer, he is also an elite passer. I mean, he's by far the best passer on this roster. With all due respect to Kyrie, Harden is by far their best passer. Um, He's capable of making passes that I haven't seen a net player make regularly since Jason Kidd. That includes D'Lo, that includes Darren Williams. That includes Spencer. That includes anybody you oh, want to name. Spencer's the worst passer there is. Well, fine. Be that as it may. Yeah. Uh, the, but the you're point, right. You are right. That, that He is an elite passer, and he is more than willing to take a few less shots to win more. I don't think that's empty rhetoric. I do believe that. Now, also... Understanding, I mean, he's not an idiot. He reads what's being written. He sees what's being said. So he knows that he wants to try to fit in to this big three and not come and blow up the chemistry of the team. So he is trying not to step on toes as well. And, you know, as KD put it eloquently, he is like a student learning a new curriculum at a new school. So he is trying to find his way work his way into shape while he finds his way within this big three. Now, I do think he will be more aggressive as the season goes on. 
there are going to be games where KD is going to be rested. I'm sorry. I guess rest is a four-letter word. Yeah, load managed. Where, where, where free management? Yes, where they list him as an injury recovery day. Right. Right. There will be games where Kyrie probably will get a hangnail or wherever, and will sit. <laughs> you know, uh, God forbid. There's more. You know, guys are missing a game for quarantine or COVID or what have you. So there will be games where he will be asked to take over, and he showed that he's more than capable still of doing that, even as he works his way into shape and learns his teammates. But I do believe he's he's fine taking a little step back to take two steps forward. I do believe he's fine with that for the moment. So before we move on to another topic, when Harden – I didn't, I don't get to talk to you at Barclays Center, so I got to ask you now. You know it's dated. When Harden was traded – uh, what was it, 10 days ago or whatever, two weeks ago, your first reaction was what? Were you like, what are the Nets doing? This was a steal. What was your reaction? My reaction, listen, I've always said whoever gets the best player in an NBA trade, well, no, whoever gets the superstar in an NBA trade wins the trade 99% of the time. Now, I just hope for the net's sake that they're not the 1%. <laughs> you know, but generally speaking, yes, if you have a chance to get James Harden, you get him. I thought that they would miss Jared more than they miss Karras. Not because I don't think Karras is a fine player. Not even that I'm saying Jared is necessarily better than Karras, but simply because, you know. Position. Position-wise. And they don't, they didn't, they barely defended before. <laughs> Now I'm saying I don't know that they'll play any defense. Um, so, but as a number of people throughout the league whose, re- whose opinions I respect pointed out to me, you can fix around the edges. You can find guys to fill out your rotation or even your lineup easier than you can find a superstar. <laughs> so, you know, what they what they are the day after the trade is not necessarily going to be what they are entering this year's playoffs or entering next year's playoffs, right? Yeah. So my take was, wow, this is going to be more drama than one of those telenovelas. Damn, this is going <laughs> to make my ulcer bleed by the end of the season. But this is going to be a really, really fun ride watching this play out. And I'm fascinated to see how Sean Marks makes this work, or I guess how Steve Nash makes it work with what Sean gives him. Yes. And that's my next topic. Got a couple more for you, if you don't mind. Um, I got to say, I've been leery of Nash from the moment he was hired. You know, noting the risk of selecting a guy who had never coached before at any level, you know, with a win now group. So we're, we're almost at the 20 game mark, you know, about a quarter through the season. You know, give give the listeners what your grade would be for him in the first quarter. For Nash? Uh, wow. I mean. I, I guess you're going to tell me it's copping out to give him an incomplete. I mean, it's so, I mean, between so many games that KD missed and Kyrie missed, 
and you didn't have Harden for the overwhelming majority of that. Um, I mean, I, I don't even know that it's fair to grade him at this point. Um, I guess a C. All right, well, then we'll go back. Instead, instead, of a letter, instead of a letter grade, go give me a, you know, a was is it satisfactory? Give me like an elementary school grade. You know, I think it's, I, well, I think it's probably what we expected. I would think. You, would you call that, it concerning? Would you call it concerning? That's my question to you. I think it's what we expected. I think the strengths are the strengths that we expected. And I think the concerns are what we were afraid they would be. I mean, I think his end game management leaves something to be desired, which is probably not shocking. I think, all right, some of the little bit more elementary things like his usage of timeouts are probably a little bit surprising to me. Um, My joke was, uh, you know, that I had earlier in the podcast was that, you know, he goes home with more timeouts than anyone coach in the league and that and a Metro card gets him the ride to Dumbo. Yeah, I mean, I suppose some of those I, I expected. Some of those are things that you were afraid would be the case. I think he seems to have kept the team while I'm not saying playing consistent basketball. I think he has kept the team in a fairly respectable headspace and kept them together when there were multiple opportunities for them to blow up amongst themselves. And that's, that's supposed to be his strength. He was a communicator when he played. There's no reason to think that he won't be a communicator now as a coach. So those are, those are the things that we expected, both positive and negative. The question is, how steep will his learning curve be in terms of his end game management when you're looking at an Eastern Conference playoff that will include guys like Doc Rivers, guys like Brad Stevens, Guys like Spo, guys like Bud. I mean, these are the coaches that you're going to have to go through. Now, granted, none of these guys are dribbling or passing or shooting, but these are the guys that you will have to go through when you look at the top seeds in the Eastern Conference. And I would believe that the Nets expect themselves to get past all of them. So how steep will the learning curve be between now and May? You know, I don't know. That's you. a concern. All right. I, that is definitely 100%. A- uh, I got one more finally for you, Brian. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Kyrie Irving. You know, you're a real reporter, not a fan like me who roots for laundry. And I know you don't pull punches when they're warranted. So I guess my question to you is, what did you make of the whole hiatus bit? And how concerned should fans be that Irving's head is the potential to drift sideways again? Well, I think you just have to accept that it's a possibility. I mean, here's my point. You can't, you can't worry about it. You just have to accept the reality that it's possible. I'm not predicting it. And I don't know what's going on in his head or in his heart or in his life that may have triggered that or may have forced him to do that, right? That's not my place. What I'm saying is, Considering A, Kyrie's history, and B, how brutally honest he's been in some cases about uh, 
the need sometimes to step away or address mental health issues and so forth and so on. Yeah, you have to accept, A, he's human, <laughs> and he's not a robot or a cyborg or an android or what have you. And B, you have to accept, yeah, that that is possible, that that may happen. Um, but what I would also say is they have the best insurance policy, arguably in NBA history, <laughs> in that, let's say for the sake of argument, this happens again in late March. And he disappears for three games or four games in late March. It's not like you don't have an all-world point guard who can take, who can absorb that usage from Kyrie. And frankly, James Harden should be on the ball for them anyway, flat out. Yeah. Oh, just, just to quickly, do you think the Harden trade was Kyrie insurance, or do you think that was always always after Harden, no matter what? I think when you have an opportunity to get James Harden, you probably should go and look strongly at that. However, I am saying, yes, I do think it affords them not only insurance for Kyrie, right, but leverage as well. I do. I do believe that. Okay. Now, Sean may, uh, you know, when you get Sean on here, he may say, uh, that's irresponsible. Yeah, well, you don't, you can't believe anything Sean says. Well, Didn't just, he tell you, like, what was it, two months ago that, you know, I'm not going to give up my depth and my flexibility? And what happened? You know, you have a chance to get James Harden and you give up everything. You give up the culture, you give up. So uh, I, I don't know that you could trust anything Sean says. Yeah, you have to I would give what he does. Well, this is why I'm saying you can't necessarily take everything that a GM or team president or CEO says literally at face value. It's all moving and it's all shades of gray, man. It's not black and white. It's gray. It's always gray, like their uniforms. Like, like their uniforms last night, which they rarely win in, but one last night. Brian Lewis of the New York Post. Thank you so much for giving the listeners the benefit of your insights and wisdom on the Nets. Like I've told everyone who's been on with me this year, I wish I could say that I'll thank you in person at Barclays Center at the next game. But, of course, Someday. that's going to have to wait. Someday. Someday. Hopefully you can stay safe, keep putting out your great stuff, and hopefully there's a long Nets run this season. Thank you, Brian. Oh, thanks for having me. That, folks, was Brian Lewis of the New York Post. Does a great job on the Nets beat. And I don't think you're going to find any more intelligent analysis anywhere on any platform than what you just heard. So thank you so much, Brian. You know, he had some interesting takes on potential Nets targets for their three open roster spots. That's, you know, three until Norvell Pell arrives, as has been reported. But, you know, I like that Brian talked up Andre Roberson. You know, he's a free agent, got the right size. And even though he can't shoot a lick, you know, he's an elite defender. You know, the bigger problem is who knows how healthy he is. As Brian mentioned, he played seven games in the bubble, but only got in one playoff game for Oklahoma City versus Houston. You know, he had very good advanced numbers in the regular season games, according to NBA.com. But, you know, it's such a small sample I would guess it was the emergence of Lou Dort that kept Roberson stuck on the pine. Again, I don't know. And the other guy I tried to talk up was Robin Lopez. 
He's on a one-year, $7.3 million contract with the Wizards, who are languishing at 3-9. and nine. To me, he's a pretty good buyout candidate, you know, if he wants out. I know he once lived in the city when he was on the Knicks and his brother Brooke was here. Maybe his favorite comic book store is still open, who knows. On the court, you know, he's not going to give you much besides the banging underneath, and he's not a great rim protector. But he is an upgrade over Reggie Perry and Pell, right? I'd like to think so. So I guess if McGee costs too much, I would consider Lopez to be a viable option. Anyway, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Nets fill those slots, two of which must be done by Saturday. And like I said last week, it would be a waste if they elevated the two-way contracts of Perry and Chris Chioza, you know, when there are options who could provide more immediate help at positions of need. You know, we're no longer in the development stage, people. Got to bring in guys who already know how to play. That's what championship teams do. And recording this podcast, that's what I do, folks, and that'll wrap it up. Huge thank you to Brian Lewis of the New York Post for taking the time to talk to me on his day off. Always great to hear from him, and like I said, really intelligent conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with more net stuff, more clips, and another special guest. Again, in the meantime, I ask that you please subscribe to the podcast on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading these episodes. Please also feel free to post some nice comments on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.